Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Hey, do you love your dog? Are they part of your family? I bet they are. I bet you can read everything your dog says. Uh, I bet the dog talks to you. My dog talks to me all the time and I talk back. And there it is, I've said it on national radio. Australians are a nation of pet lovers. And in the case of dogs, the breed we love the most, apparently, is the child-friendly Labrador. Professor Paul McGreevy from the University of Sydney has attracted worldwide attention this last week with a surprising finding about Labradors. It seems when you crunch the genetic numbers, brown Labradors are not as healthy as the yellow variety. It's a correlation um, based on their genetics. But he's also an expert on dog uh, behaviour. So he took this opportunity to talk in depth to Professor Paul McGreevy. Welcome to Open House. Thanks, Stephen. Um, You've made the point that... uh, Poor old Winston Churchill might have given black dogs a bad name by by naming his depressive state after them and thereby by calling it calling a phrase. Have we got the evidence that black dogs are in fact depressed? Um, no, there's no evidence that black <laughs> dogs are, are, are depressed. Um, we sometimes look at horses and ask them why the long face, but we haven't asked the dogs. Oh, ouch! Um, <laughs> so that, I guess the, there are some interesting prejudices that that. that um, people bring to this space and um, there is evidence that that when dogs are looking for adoption through shelters and rescues that black dogs take longer to find a new home. Yes, Uh, I gather that uh, people tend to think um, that lighter coloured animals are friendlier. That's right, yeah, pale coloured dogs um, are considered more approachable on the street Um, and I guess that's, you know, it's, it's partially to do with the way they can express their face um, you know, that those beautiful, beautiful brown eyes that a, a Labrador or a Golden Retriever can can turn on at you um, um, may, may be a way of actually picking out the difference between the, the eyes and the skin mm. um, in a way that, you know, that seal pup look does it every time. Um, and... And so maybe it's a lack of contrast in the in the darker coloured dogs that um, disadvantages them slightly. And it's not really a matter of just anthropomorphous, where we uh, interpret animal gestures through our own lens, as it were, of what what a person would be like. Because the interrelationship between dog breeds and humans is goes back a, an extraordinarily long period of time. And therefore, could you say that we have actually bred? something of ourselves or our expectations into the dog species that we interact with today? Um, well, that's a... That's a that's I guess I mean behavioural question. characteristics yeah. rather yeah. than... Yeah. yeah. Well, if we compare dogs with wolves, one distinct feature of, of hand-raised wolves when they're compared with hand-raised dogs is that dogs pay more attention to our hands and our faces than the wolves do. So yeah. they are... What we call, um, they're using social referencing is the correct term. So we can point at food, for instance, and dogs will take that as a cue in a way that a hand-reared wolf never will. And in fact, the the evidence is that that dogs are better at this than than chimpanzees are. So they, they have become very attentive to information that they can gather from us by paying attention to us. And I, I'm, I'm tempted to believe that, that dogs are better at reading humans than we are at reading them. And when we look at the statistics on the number of people that unfortunately get bitten by dogs, it's usually because the, the people haven't read the, the, the messages correctly. And if you think about how dangerous dogs are to us, we are far more dangerous 
to them because we're destroying the dogs in such large numbers when they don't fit in. Oh, that is interesting. But we're also breeding in those... We're literally selecting for those characteristics that will make them good pets if that's their purpose or yes, good farm good. dogs if that's, that's their purpose. That's right. Companions and co-workers, they, they, there is a sense in which um, that, that we have actually co-evolved um, and that you know, our, our relationships have been going on so long that we couldn't be where we are today as humans without dogs and certainly dogs wouldn't look the way they are today the way they do today without without human intervention. And, and I'm thinking here particularly of, of some of the more extreme types like um, Pugs and Dachshunds. Clearly those, you don't find many of them in the feral state. Um, they are entirely dependent on us. Yes. I do find it hard to love Pugs. Oh, um, well, we'll have to beg to differ. I mean, they're, they're just got such a charming personality. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, they do, they do. But... Um, but then, obviously, some people would say they're the vet's best friend as well because they are um, they're dying 30% earlier than, than a dog of the same size with a normal-shaped airway and a shaped face. So we are compromising them for our benefit. Um, and I think we'll eventually discover that they have got these incredibly winning personalities um, that, that allows us to forgive them all of that disorder and, and that, all those breathing noises um, because they are <laughs> comical, um, but whether that whether it's appropriate and ethical to have a dog that's physically compromised just because they're entertaining is another question entirely. Well, let's go there because your research, amongst other things, has shown uh, there is there are differences now that you can correlate with colour, therefore an indication of uh, breeding selection over time um, with dog longevity. Talk about that. Yes, well, these are data that we've just published this week um, in a journal called Canine Genetics and Epidemiology, and, and it's available online. You can, any of your listeners can download that paper. It's an open access journal. Mm. It's analysed data on over 33,000 Labradors in the UK, and, um, and specifically it's opened the records um, from vet clinics on um, over 2,000 of these dogs. And what it, what it reveals is that um, the... The median longevity, the average lifespan of, of Labradors is around 12 years, which is pretty good for a dog of that size. Um, but quite interestingly, there's, there's a, a distribution of colours that, that, that reveals um, how recessive the, the chocolate genes are. So we're seeing a lot more blacks um, and somewhat more yellows than the chocolate dogs. Um, and when we drilled into the data further, we, we showed that, um, that there are three main diseases that, that Labradors in general get. Then you can think of them as the three O's. We've got osteoarthritis, obesity and overweightness together, and finally um, otitis externa, which is ear infections. Mm. So those are the three O's that we see in, in Labradors in general. The surprising finding for me was that we're actually seeing different levels of ear infections and skin infections in the chocolate-coloured dogs. So they're getting twice as many ear infections and four times as many skin infections. And um, this was a huge surprise. We've looked at the effect of colour in different breeds before and found no relationship with um, disease predisposition in, in, for instance, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels or um, pugs, but this is the first time we've found um, 
that skin disease and ear disease uh, can be related to to the, the colour of the dog's coat. And <laughs> is that relationship not because of the colour itself, obviously, but because of the um, because of the genetics that have been involved in making that colour? That, as you say, the brown is a double recessive gene. Yeah, so so I think the general um, acceptance among uh, even among Labrador breeders is that what we're seeing here is is the product of a small number of founder ancestors oh. for chocolate in the Labrador. Interesting. Um, yeah, so it may be that the the growing interest in breeding chocolate pups has allowed people to be tempted to take their eye off the health attributes and the, the you know the performance attributes of, of this breed yeah. and if you just focus on one superficial trait like colour um, then you really should expect trouble in other departments um, we need to make sure that we value health and performance um, as much as we do perform uh, appearance and so there is a there is a concern here that that what we're seeing is is a, a product of um, breeding for um, a recessive trait um, and let's face it, it's a superficial one. Um, one of the interesting things I've discovered in my work around Labradors is that chocolate Labradors have a different retina to the yellows and blacks. So it, it, it may account for some behavioural differences. If they're seeing the world through different eyes, oh, yes. then, then it could be that they're actually behaving differently. And certainly for for the original use of, of Labradors as gun dogs, the chocolates were really not in the frame. It was yellows and blacks that were doing the work. That's interesting. Our guest on Open House is Professor of Animal Behavioural and Animal Welfare Science at the University of Sydney, and that's Professor Paul McGreevy. You literally are a horse whisperer because uh, animal behaviour is your area of expertise and you're one of the world experts at that. I, I just When you look at dogs' faces, how do you read them? Um, well, well, yes, it's just, that's a very interesting question because it, it's one thing to read a horse's face mm. um, because it's got very mobile ears and um, it doesn't have a, a hairy face. Um, it doesn't have eyebrows or a beard as some horses, some dogs do. So it, it's potentially easier to read horses and ponies than it is to read all dogs the same way because dogs are more morphologically diverse than any other mammalian species. They come in so many different shapes and sizes and, yes, colours, but also coat lengths. And so um, what I tend to look for in, in a relaxed dog is this gentleness around the mouth and the eyes that that tends to, to indicate that the, the dog is relaxed um the position of the ears will tell you a lot i mean people there's a beautiful study that's just come out that shows how ear position can change just before a bite believe it or not people have put videos of dog bites on youtube and that's allowed scientists at the university of liverpool mm. to dissect what the dogs were saying before they bit and that's what the good. humans were doing um mm. as they ignored those those warnings so um yeah the the, the 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 short answer if i may is it's much easier in horses than it is in dogs mm. because dogs are so diverse mm. but dogs are still giving us lots of information and um, we just need to know how to read that particular dog in front of us yeah, very interesting. Well, most owners will read their dogs pretty well because you just, they are the family. They're part of the family. And we certainly love our little dog to bits. And she's a crossbreed. What, what about this uh, fashion for crossbred dogs? Well, I, are we talking here about the sort of so called designer crosses? The so called. Yeah, she's one of the oodles. Like oodles. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, the 
believe it or not, the jury is still out on whether crossbred dogs are truly, every time, more healthy than their purebred counterparts. We're about to publish a, a, a report on this in the conversation, so watch this space. But yes. um, it's it's although many of us have for a long time believed that crossbreds um, are getting something called hybrid vigour from being crossed, um, I think there are some fairly big assumptions there. If you have two breeds of dog that have the same inherited disorder, then um, just crossing those two breeds is not going to get you out of jail free. No. In fact, you know, if you're going to have the same problems as you would crossing two members of the same breed if they have the same um, predisposition. So um, the beauty of crossbreeding should really only be um, expected when you're looking at quite diverse and unrelated breeds. Um, so um, that may be why um, the, the suite of diseases that Labradors get is so different to the suite of diseases that, that toy poodles get. Maybe that's why the original oodle, the Labradoodle, was apparently very, very healthy. Mm. Um, we don't actually have the data to demonstrate that yet, though. So we're, we're, we're developing ways to, to test this in, in the eternal question among dog people, um, and, and unfortunately the jury is still out. But it's legitimate then, is it, to um, to look, if you're looking for a family dog, to look at a, a, a couple of species which together create a, a dog that's more friendly or slightly smaller or has wool instead of fur for people who are dust intolerant and that, that sort of thing? Um, there are lots of traps for beginners there, Stephen. Um, even shedding is a, a trait that's distributed in a Mendelian fashion, so you cannot guarantee that puppies will be non-shedding oh, in a, a noodle litter. Yep. Um, and, you know, there are some spectacularly good breeders who are doing everything they can to have healthy pedigree dogs. <clears throat> I think we could do a lot more to ensure that they're well socialised before mm. they leave the breeders i'd like to see a lot more of that because that's the main reason that people are surrendering their dogs and 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 even dumping them it's because the behavior isn't right yeah. it's not because of the coats are wrong length or the wrong color yeah. so behavior is where we have a lot of work to do and i think the the, the key thing is to socialize puppies correctly yeah. and i think there's a role for breeders in getting the, the ball rolling there wow and so is the best advice, um, if you're in that market, to get to know the breeder, get to know the dog's parents, look at a couple of litters to see what they're like, rather than, I'm going to say, just going to a pet shop. And I know that might be unfair on some pet shops, but it, it strikes horror in my in my heart when I look at people. They look at the puppy in the window. They've got no idea where it came from, and they just That's go right. home with you that puppy. You, you really don't know what baggage you're taking home with you, sadly. <clears throat> and I think... Um, we need to reward best practice. Mm. Um, I am a huge advocate of RSPCA Australia's smart puppy and dog buying guide that you can everyone can download from the interweb. Um, it's dripping with very, very good advice. And I wouldn't do this topic justice mm. today on your show if I even tried to summarise it. I'd, I'd suggest everybody acquaints themselves with what's in that guide because it will take you through how to, uh, to avoid inherited disorders, how to ensure that pups are well socialised, well cared for, well vaccinated before you take them on, the importance of seeing the parents, 
um, and the importance of valuing the, the value add that people put into a litter of puppies if they really want to, to care and demonstrate that they want these puppies to have the best possible life. Wow. Well, that is good advice. Look, thank you for driving to the top of a hill on your property to, to talk to us in the one spot where you get mobile reception. That was really it's cool. It's my great pleasure, Stephen. <laughs> nice speaking with you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Let's get Paul back. Uh, this is Professor Paul McGreevy from the University of Sydney, a world expert on dog genetics and behaviour. And we'll put the link to his research on our website when we podcast this. The Smart Puppy Buying Guide can be found on rspca.org.au. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.